1997 call to 911, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. 911, what are you reporting? Uh, with someone or something crawling around out here. Did you see what it was? What person or an animal or? I can't tell. All I know is my central light came on and I just happened to glimpse and see this thing running across the yard. A good sized man or something looks like a man. I don't know what it was, just it, it ran across the yard. Okay. You've had problems in the neighborhood before? Yeah, my dog was killed here just recently. I don't know what it was, whatever it is, it's running. Couldn't catch it if I was going to chase it. So whatever it was, it was standing up. I'm out here coming through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. Jesus Christ, you better... Hello? Get somebody out there. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. You see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on. He's right... Is he in your yard, sir? Yeah, God, he's big. Okay, what's he in your yard? He's looking at me. Oh, the guy is on foot. This... I don't know what... It, it's a big, real big person. That's all I can say. Okay, it is a, it is a person. I <laughs> In 2012, Conan O'Brien, on his popular late-night show, interviews, and pokes fun of James Bobo Fay, who was a host on Animal Planet's very successful, nine-season, primetime hit, Finding Bigfoot. The very popular series ran from 2011 to 2018, having broadcast 100 episodes. James, thank you for being here. You can call me Bobo. For uh, Bobo. I'll call sure. you Bobo. Okay. Only cops and judges call me James. Okay. Bobo. Good to see you, Bobo. Nice to see you. We got to get right into this. You are a Squatchologist. You are very serious about this. Yeah. You believe Bigfoot exists. Believes for stuff you can't see. I know they exist. You know he exists. And they. They exist. There's more than one Bigfoot. They're species. They're like a primate. Probably okay. in the Homo genus. Right. Okay, so you've seen Bigfoot. Like Homo sapien. Like yeah, yeah. Have you seen Bigfoot? Yeah, yeah, I have. You've seen him yourself. Swear to God. Okay, well, uh, you, you have not captured him, though, on video. Uh, you have no photographs. You have no film. You have no nothing. No. I never had the equipment before we started doing this show, and I haven't seen one since 2007. So but the last time I saw one, I, we just got, we got the equipment like two weeks later. This, this rich guy, Wally, buys this equipment now, and I got the equipment two weeks later. I would have had... I would have had it. It was only like 70 feet away. But you had no, you were looking for Bigfoot, but had no recording equipment with you. Well, we did. Not, not thermals. I mean, that sh stuff was like 35 grand, you know. Right. Well, good thing Wally came along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've gotten a look at him. Describe what is, I mean, you've seen Bigfoot. What does a Bigfoot look like? Well, a lot of, pretty much everyone here has probably seen it. The Patterson Goodwin film, the 1967, where it goes walk up the creek and looks back. Yeah, but many people that's think that's a guy in a Bigfoot costume. Well, dude, there's a lot of people who think that Moon is made of cheese, but talk to, like, an astrophysicist, and you're going to find out, you know? That's a good point. Most, most people believe that Moon is made of cheese. Well, it's back of the old... So you can tell the difference between someone in a Bigfoot costume and the actual Bigfoot. Well, the Patterson-Gubin film we were talking about earlier, the 67, yeah. no human on Earth meets those proportions, like... You can't extend from the elbow to the, to the shoulder or from, or from the knee to the hip. I, have you seen my proportions? I, <laughs> I, I said human. John, John Tesh, oh, thank you. John Tesh and I both could be a Bigfoot. I mean, we both no. have extremely long legs and I have elongated arms. And no. I roam the woods nude at night often. <laughs> These are all true stories. 
Um, you do, uh, okay, you try to attract Bigfoot when you're looking for him. How do you try and attract Bigfoot? Uh, what hey, would Bigfoot, it? I'm sorry. I keep saying Bigfoot as though there are one we all know there are, well, there are hundreds that, of thousands. Well, there's probably between two and 6,000 in North America, roughly. We'll have a better idea when this DNA study gets in. There's a lot of DNA samples that have been turned in. DNA samples from Bigfoot? Yeah, yeah. They, they, they've got new techniques to extract DNA. Um, well, oxygen. what DNA do you have of Bigfoots? Um, mostly it's coming from hair. Like, hair samples already have that. The morphology of the hair, they, the, it's an uh, unidentified primate. It's been collected in North America. There's hundreds of samples of so it. So it's all hair. That's all the DNA. No, no, no. There's, um, there's some blood samples where they've crossed uh, barbed wire fences. And I don't want to get too into it, but uh, a guy shot two of them two years ago in Northern California. And they, he brought in a chunk of the leg from the adult. He shot a young one and an adult one. And that's the basis of the whole study. Really? Yeah, but it's I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> no, Your whole show is about finding Bigfoot And you're not allowed to say that they found Bigfoot And have a piece of him Everyone signed NDAs uh, But I didn't But uh, everyone else that's working on it signed So NDAs. then you're allowed to talk about it We've got a yeah. chunk of a Bigfoot somewhere They do We've got DNA from Bigfoot We've got hair We've got blood They map the genome Yeah. They've got, they've got do they, Is there semen? Is there Bigfoot semen? I'm trying to collect that right now I'll take one for the team I'm dedicated. You gotta do what you gotta do. True crime. Sex. Political conspiracy. Celebrity gossip. Murder. UFOs. Crooked officials. The occult. Assassination. Courtroom drama. Rape. Corporate scams. Scandal sheets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scandal Sheet. My name is Thad Helsley, and I am again joined by my brilliant co-host, Millennial Ellie. Hi. I just want to say um, happy spring to both you, Thad, and to all our listeners. I think everybody is really excited that the days are getting longer, and um, summer is right around the corner. Well, it, it, it is for us, but I was wondering, I know you and your husband both reside in Alaska and when you're not flying commercial jets around the country, but... Do you guys see any drive payment in your future? Uh, we do. Yeah, it's um, we've had a beautiful weekend this weekend and or, I'm sorry, beautiful weather this weekend. And it we had some really dry roads yesterday. So the cars are coming out of four wheel drive and uh, the sun is starting to melt all the snow, especially in Anchorage. So, yeah, we're we're excited. Okay, so when you say beautiful weather, what is the temperature of beautiful weather in March? I would say in March it's like 40 degrees and sunny. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah. And no scandal sheet episode could be complete without our artificial intelligence engine, Bernice. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this particular topic. Finally, this podcast is examining mammals with some level of intelligence. Hmm. Thanks for that, Bernice. So today we're going to talk about Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, uh, Yeti, Hairy Man, Yowie, and numerous other names around the world. So, Ellie, I've had this on my potential topic list for almost a year now. Um, I knew the topic still had some life because it would pop up uh, as a show on the History Channel or National Geographic occasionally, but it was actually you that opened my eyes as to how expansive the fascination with this whatever it is has become. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of 
material out there that I've kind of started reading and watching. And that has also piqued my interest. So one of the big things that's coming out is the mini series called Sasquatch that'll be on Hulu. And we're not paid to promote this or in any way, but um, I just saw the, you know, the, <laughs> I wish we um, were <laughs> if anybody, if anybody involved in Sasquatch wants to uh, contact us about that. That'd be great. Um, but no, you know, that one, you could be our official sponsor. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, that won an award at South by Southwest. Um, and so I think there's, you know, there's also just so many shows and, um, you know, on TV, there are podcasts about it. We're journalists like Laura Kranz had a really successful podcast back in 2018, you know, just the search for Bigfoot. And then also in Alaska, where I live, a a lot of people will put Bigfoot silhouettes in their yards or along the highways, just like these like plywood cutouts and they'll paint them black. And so it does make you do a double take in the evening. Like when you're driving by, you're like, wait, what is that? And, you know, you'll kind of look and you're like, oh, it's just somebody's yard ornament. So in you know, some people, I think, do that in jest. I think it's just a really interesting topic. So I, I dug in and I know you did, too. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And and. Like you say, it's just it's just amazing that it's giving this level of attention, and yet we don't even know what it is. But I mean, you know, even current celebrities like the Kardashians don't get this level of media attention, do they? I don't. I mean, they're not putting Kim Kardashian silhouettes on in people's front yards, are they? No, they're they're not. Um, I think they're putting Kim Kardashian photos in very strategic places in like their bedrooms possibly but I don't think anybody's putting um, <laughs> yeah I don't think anybody's uh putting their silhouette in their front yard I think another reason that it is getting a lot more mainstream attention is if you spend a lot of time outside if you're like a hiker or a mountain biker especially if you live in the west or you live near public lands where you do spend a lot of time outside you've noticed that especially since the pandemic and even before then there was like a huge move towards like an outdoor lifestyle and an active lifestyle so really more and more people are starting to spend more time outside and like more people are just kind of starting to spend time in the wilderness and become one with the trees and all that so I, I think th the majority of people who are spending time outside want to see what information there might be on you know, animals or mystical creatures that are outside, um, you know, maybe what they'll encounter and stuff. Point. So um, before we go any further, um, you know, we always try to kind of go back to origins and, and not take anything for granted with our listeners. So Bernice, for any of our listeners who've been hiding in a cave, for example, for the last 55 years, who or what is Bigfoot, a.k.a. Sasquatch. Certainly. Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch, is a purported ape-like creature said to inhabit the forests of North America. Many dubious articles have been offered in attempts to prove the existence of Bigfoot, including anecdotal claims of visual observations as well as alleged video and audio recordings, photographs, and casts of large footprints. Tales of wild, hairy humanoids exist throughout the world, and such creatures appear in the folklore of North America including the mythologies of indigenous people. The majority of mainstream scientists have historically discounted the existence of Bigfoot, considering it to be the result of a combination of folklore, misidentification, and hoax, rather than a living animal. Other creatures of relatively similar descriptions are alleged to inhabit various regions throughout the world, 
such as the skunk ape of the southeastern United States, the almas, urine, and yeti in Asia, and the Australian yowie, all of which, like Bigfoot, are ingrained in the cultures of their regions. Thanks, Bernice. Ellie, we could probably do um, entire episodes, multiple entire episodes, just examining the thousand-year-old legends and the cave paintings of indigenous people in America's Asia and uh, in the Americas, um, Asia, Australia, etc. But for the purpose of this particular pod, I think we should just focus on what has occurred in the last 50 plus years here in America. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay. So the self-described rational enlightenment Europeans that, that colonized North and South America beginning in the 1500s mostly lived in blissful ignorance of local mythical creatures, at least as far as we understand. So many years, then there were a lot of other things to worry about, uh, wars and et cetera, et cetera. But in 1967, two guys with an amateur 16 millimeter film camera captured about 11 seconds of an unknown bipedal hominid creature walking in the woods. Now, while that was initially dismissed by authorities, it gradually exploded into mainstream popular culture. And listeners, we're putting links to that short film in the liner notes of this episode, so you can go and look at it yourself, right there on your cell phone while you're listening. But in the meantime, Ellie, can you tell us the story of how this film came about and its reception? Yeah, absolutely. So Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin, so we'll call Robert Bob, um, because I think that was mostly his, uh, you know, that's what he went by. So Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin were filming a sort of documentary slash, you know, docu-series in Northern California. And the purpose of the documentary was to have people chasing Bigfoot. So when you watch this clip... You, okay, so it was a Bigfoot documentary. They intentionally went to go look They intentionally him. were going to look for him, yes. And, you know... Okay, got it. Got and, it. and Patterson had become interested in Bigfoot in the decade prior anyway, because he'd read a few articles, and he actually put out his own book about it later, which is like, Do Abominable Snowmen of America Really Exist? He had actually self-published that a year earlier. And so they went to go do this sort of docudrama filming about like cowboys being led by miners and Indians. And they're like basically all on a hunt for Bigfoot. So they had the movie equipment and they had horses and they were already up in the this area of Northern California where they had been logging. So there were logging roads and there was access into there. And then they, according to them, they were on horseback and riding up a creek called Bluff Creek. And they ended up seeing a Bigfoot behind a tree kind of squatting down. And then the Bigfoot started running or not running away, but leisurely, I would say kind of walking away and the horses kind of reared up in fear and then they were trying to get their cameras so that they could film Bigfoot, you know, film this creature. Um, they did have a gun, but they had apparently agreed beforehand not to kill anything that they found. And then they ended up taking this film back and 
having it developed actually over the weekend, which is where a lot of skepticism comes in because a lot of places couldn't really develop these types of films on a weekend. They just weren't open, but they ended up developing it and then trying to put <laughs> right, it out right. there. And so, so then it, it did become very popular. You know, it's really well known now as just the Patterson Gimlin film. And there is a solid 11 seconds of a bipedal creature kind of apathetically walking away from them and looking back over their shoulder. So, so I don't know much about film in general. Like I don't, I don't really know much besides just good quality and bad quality. And I know that the technology in 1967 was very far from, you know, what I can do with my phone by just whipping it out of my pocket. So, right. I, so I just know that it's pretty low quality and I know there's, if if you're into filmmaking, you can probably go way deeper into the details of why why it is, you know, may, possibly edited, possibly not, why it's difficult to tell if it's a guy in a gorilla costume or an actual weird creature. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so I did go to film school and I have been a uh, first a filmmaker then a film video maker now a digital uh, moving image media maker <laughs> we keep changing the name the aesthetics are pretty much the same though even though the technology changes but you know if I was going to stage a fake film about a seven foot tall monster you know I just don't know if I would do it quite this way like you were talking about how casual um, the the entity was just kind of walking without any fear, not running, just kind of looking over its shoulder, then looking back and just walking away. Whereas, you know, just like if I was making an episode of The Walking Dead, I think I'd have the monster to like come at me or something, do something scary. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what, that's what did like authenticity. I mean, everything you said about, okay, how could these two bozos develop their film overnight in 1967 in a remote part of, you know, Northern California? Hmm. You know, it's like they have, well, we had a laboratory back at the log cabin. Well, yeah. And I just think it's, there's all that stuff, but I mean, well, I was, no, I was, I was going to say, I, I totally agree with you about all of that. And I also just think it's pretty, pretty darn coincidental that they were going to shoot a movie about Bigfoot and then they run into Bigfoot. I, you know, like that, that just seems a little too coincidental. I, you know, I, I almost feel like maybe if it had been a, a logger who saw Bigfoot and, you know, was able to take a well, video and that's the or thing, something. And I don't, I don't know what kind of preparation that you were saying. They went in there with the intention of making a documentary about Bigfoot, you know, and if you were going to do that, I would think you would you would find somebody who some kind of a scout type person who is familiar with Bigfoot or could track any kind of an animal, you know, based on certain things, you know, urine samples or fecal samples or whatever. And, and I don't know if one of those guys were like, but that, you know, then you wouldn't be like you said, just going into hundreds of miles of remote wilderness and let's just roll the dice and hope we bump into him as opposed to, well, let's track this guy. You know, like if I shot a bear and I didn't kill him, you know, Pete, there would be people who would be able to track that bear and and tra and find him, even in the most remote wilderness, right? Right. So, or any other kind of an animal that had done something, like people will be 
uh, frequently there'll be bear attacks, you know, and, and nobody gets a chance to do it. They still track down that bear and, and, and kill him, right, because he attacks somebody. So, um, so you should theoretically be able to track down uh, an animal such as this, whatever we're calling him, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, etc. So I agree with you. I definitely agree with you on that point. Um, I do like the fact that there is a shred of evidence. I think it's a great conversation topic. And if anything, it, it gets people talking about Bigfoot a little bit more because really it's like the only other evidence that we have besides footprints. And I mean that, you know, there are no skeletons, there are no fecal samples, you know, like we're not tracking their scat. There are no really good photographs of anything. And yeah, nobody's ever brought a dead Bigfoot into a lab. So if anything, I think it just keeps people talking, which is, which is the good part about it. It's a pretty benign conversation topic. So as long as you're not hurting anybody in your quest for Bigfoot, like have at it, you know? Well, that's true. That's true. But I mean, where do you stand personally? I mean, you know, there's two issues. There's the authenticity of this particular film, which doesn't necessarily, even if it is a fake film, it doesn't mean that there isn't a Bigfoot, right? It just means that these guys stage something. But I mean, as far as this film is concerned, what do you think? And let me just add one more um, detail that, that had some de- uh, degree of authenticity to it is that um, you know, I, I, who knows what level of makeup or costuming was available to guys like this in the, in the sixties. Obviously this is around the time they made that movie planet of the apes. I don't know if you ever saw the original one with Charlton Heston. Oh, yeah. Those were the fakiest, those were the fakiest apes on planet <laughs> earth. And that was Hollywood. When you look at that movie now, you're like, that is laughable. People were scared of this. You've got to be kidding. And it's almost the exact same year, right? 1967 or 68. So this thing looks a heck of a lot more convincing than those plan- than the Hollywood apes, right? The other thing, they gave him longer arms than a homo sapien would have proportionally. So that would mean that's not that you couldn't have built a longer arm in a costume, but the way the guy is swinging his arms, it's not a guy, it's a gal, actually had breasts. So, um, and also moving its fingers, meaning that they had to build, if that is a costume, something with articulated fingers. I mean, that's pretty, pretty, uh, you know, highfalutin stuff. And again, I, I, I give you that Planet of the Apes example. How come, <laughs> how come Hollywood with, with millions of dollars couldn't come up with a more decent ape? And these two guys with a 16 millimeter camera, which was equivalent to 16 millimeter was like super eight film or a VHS camcorder in 1967. It was amateur, amateur. Right. Well, and the, the other thing too, is that it doesn't have, when you start asking, okay, who, who, if they put a, somebody in a costume, who was the person in that costume? Right. Because a lot of people have come out saying that, they were the person in the costume and some of the people um in the cost who claim to have been the person in the costume say oh yeah they said they were going to pay me a thousand dollars and then they never did there's just a lot of people who claim to be that person so i'm i i don't believe really one way or the other honestly the way the world goes at this point it would not surprise me if there was a bigfoot so i I, but i'm also not a believer like i don't think i'm going to go out and like become a um a squat are they called squatchers i think 
But well, there's that, and there's uh, the the larger term is crypts. Cryptozoologist. Cryptozoologist. So they can basically believe in anything um, that is mythical, a Loch Ness monster, other things. It does. It's not limited to just flip. Right. That's the 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 pseudo scientific term. Right. Okay. Cryptozoologist. Okay. A, a cryptozoologist. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to become like an amateur cryptozoologist. I'm not going to. But I. I. I'm. I'm also not like. I just don't. I don't think it's totally fake. I don't think it's completely unreasonable because when you start to look at, you know, the, especially the West, right. You know, like your Northern California and like the Cascades are really like hotspot areas for uh, Bigfoot sightings and activity. I mean, they really have a lot of open public space that has really only been inhabited by humans, you know, for like your, you know, European humans basically for the last like 200 years and when you go back and you look at like native american folklore a lot of native american tribes have stories about big creatures big hairy creatures and they have tons of different names they do. and they do. you know and that yeah that really remains the same like from alaska all the way down like you know into the pacific northwest so i it like let's just say in theory there was a bigfoot that could live to be I don't know, 100 or 150 years old. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. good chance that in the 1960s, there was actually something there. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it, maybe he was like, what What are these humans doing here? But but then, okay, for the purpose of arguments, uh, you know, because, yeah, there, there does seem to be enough, you know, either sightings or, you know, even though it's it's sparse photographic evidence and things of that nature. How come we can't find one? You know, we can find the bat that supposedly was the source of COVID in China, you know, and the chimpanzees that was the source of AIDS in wherever in Africa. But we can't even find, you know, if these guys have been running around North America for thousands of years, you know, Native Americans were making cave paintings of them and stuff like that. We can't even find one skeleton. Yeah. How can that be possible? (laughs) Well, you know, I think um, they're social distancing for COVID. (laughs) (laughs) they're they're the they're the world's social distancing champions that's why but i do i do think it's very interesting that yeah we haven't even seen like scat or anything however one one point that i did find in, in research is that really almost any animal that we see in you know a museum that's taxidermied you know either up on a wall or in the natural history museum or something those animals are all there because they were shot because they were killed it's very rare that you find or dug up or dug up we dug up their bones right right and like we never shot a dinosaur but they're everywhere so correct and so like when when you look at animals that have the ability to go choose their own place to die a lot of animals do die in like a pretty secretive protective place because they don't want to be prey for like for a predator that can smell you know their 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 illness or their injury and then come in and end their life earlier so i mean even if you have like a dog or you know especially dogs like people's pet dogs a lot of times if the dog is really sick their dog will run away to a place where it's going to die so i uh i well i was thinking of uh elephants don't they suppose it i mean let's i mean they've been around for you know tens of thousands or if not millions of years as well and there are we we certainly see them in in you know living form in certain parts of the world especially in africa but isn't there a legend that there really aren't 
like elephant skeletons underground the way there are dinosaur skeletons that there's like a place they go to die which you know used to be this sort of like the Cortez city of gold everybody was like oh my think of all the ivory that must be there if we could just find the place where they go to die I was thinking maybe there is something like that yeah for the, like you what you're saying where they all go like some big giant deep dark hole and they all jump down to the bottom of it and you know and it's a secret place that nobody's ever found yeah may, maybe they do that or maybe if they're more human anyway may, maybe they maybe they bury each other or something if they're not completely alone right like if they live in you know small groups well, or that's another partners may, right um right so so and i i think the other thing so unmarked graves yeah yeah i think the other thing too is um you know i i had a realization when i was reading about bigfoot and i figured if there's anybody who's actually seen a bigfoot or maybe a community where you would have more bigfoot sightings or maybe more just lore about these mystical creatures it would be within the hunting community because the hunters are outside sneaking around very quietly in camouflage with a gun trying to find animals. So my husband is an avid hunter. And so I asked him, hey, what's word on the street within the hunting community about Bigfoot? And he actually brought up a lot of great points. And he's out today. Otherwise, I totally would have invited him to tell me what he knows on this podcast. But he was mentioning that really hunters have retrained their brain in the wilderness to really put very calmly put together pieces of a puzzle. And so Mm. they are in, they have to overcome a lot of their fight or flight instincts when they're out in the wilderness, because if they see or hear something, they have to immediately start putting pieces together of like, okay, a twig snapped and, you know, a rock is falling. So what animal could be causing that in this specific area? Um, Whereas if you're not a hunter, if you're just outside enjoying the outdoors, you might hear a twig snap and, you know, your brain does automatically go to worst case scenario. And that's like a survival instinct, right? Um, It's a survival instinct to say, hey, the worst possible thing in the world is about to kill you. So you're, you better get to safety. And so even if it's just a squirrel that made that twig snap, then, you know, your body is still trying to convince itself to survive. But hunters have to you know, think very logically through every twig snap, every rock fall, every silhouette they see, and they have to try to put together the pieces of the puzzle and say, okay, what animal is that? Is it the animal that I'm trying to hunt? Is it something that's a threat to me? Or is it something where I am the predator to that person? And so they spend years, you know, like retraining their brain and they're very, very comfortable outside. So what I gathered from our conversation was more of an opinion that people who are Bigfoot believers or people who claim to have seen Bigfoot, uh, they're people who are typically just not comfortable with being outside. They're people who are outside and they're just maybe a little more scared. They're not as familiar with all the wildlife and the behaviors of the wildlife in that area. And so when they hear sounds or when they see certain silhouettes, they believe the their brain when their brain tells them that that is literally the worst threat that you can have. So get out of here to save your life. 
I just thought that was a really interesting perspective because hunters spend a lot of time outside, especially hunters like up in Alaska that are do. off the road system. You know, it's, it's different than just getting away from your wife and sitting up in a tree stand, like on a land lease or something. I mean, it's like, there, there are a lot of hunters who are just out miles and miles and miles from civilization, you know, off the road system and stuff up here. So, right, right. The real, the real hardcore guys, it's sort of like that old movie, the deer hunter, half of them were, they just did what they wanted to sit in the cabin and drink. And then the other guys were out there really trying to find a buck, you know, with however many points, you know, and, and would track them down and, and, and shoot them with one shot had to be one shot. Yeah, because if because if you're if you're outside and you're uncomfortable and you're scared and you see a silhouette, you know, behind a tree, you if you're a hunter, you're looking at it and you're saying, "Okay, is that is that the animal I want to be killing?" you know? And if so, am I in position to do that one shot to kill this animal? And if not, you know, is it a bear? Is did I accidentally call in a bear instead of a moose? Or they're they're just trying to piece together all all the pieces of the puzzle. So I found it really interesting that that of all the people who spend time sneaking around the woods trying to find animals, especially big game animals, hunters are like probably the percentage of the population, the lowest percentage of the population that have like any sort of either belief or sightings of Bigfoot. Hmm. Do we do we have a source for that, or is that your sort of like back of the napkin no that that would just be my back of the napkin calculation okay yeah (laughs) yeah okay yeah well i mean you're i mean and hunters are obviously extraordinarily organized i mean there's so many magazines and cable tv shows and then there's the nra which was originally wasn't uh intended to be political it was intended to be you know, represent hunters and and their guns and, and and gun safety and things of that nature before it got into the politics business. But so, I mean, there'd be a lot of ways that they could all stand up and said, "Okay, we decided there's Bigfoot." Everybody, <laughs> we're only electing congressmen who believe in Bigfoot. Right, so, right. Well, and I that... but but they haven't done so. They haven't done so yet. So. <laughs> I'm only voting for people who believe in in Bigfoot. Um... In Bigfoot. <laughs> I I would love that. And actually, then everybody could put like Bigfoot silhouettes in their front yard instead of those annoying like political signs, the election signs in everybody's yard. Then we could just put Bigfoot silhouettes in everybody's yard. I would I could go for this. Yeah. You know, I was thinking if we had 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 time to do a cold open because you were talking about, well, how do we know that, you know, there aren't families or tribes of Bigfoot um, out there and they're the ones that bury one another. And that's why we don't see any skeletons. And and, you know, what if somebody did stumble across like a little village of, you know, Bigfoot and maybe they had like I mean, because we were talking about the Pacific Northwest, isn't that the origin of Starbucks? I mean, wouldn't that that'd be a perfect place to have a franchise, right? Yes. So you walk in, everybody's a Bigfoot, and they're like, hey, I'd like a caramel macchiato. And then they're all kind of like, just like the guy in the film, everybody kind of looks at you like, oh, is that a human again? Hate those guys ever. God, hate those guys. They're worse than rats. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Oh, he's probably going to give me COVID. Better socially distance again. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> go back into hey, hiding. Call that black bear to rip, rip him to pieces. Well, yeah, I'm tired. So, I yeah, I think you know. Actually, though, speaking of um, like colonizations, there there was uh, I guess some nests that they think are are Bigfoot nests that were um, discovered on the Olympic Peninsula, but they're on um, like 
timber land. And so it's private land. And so they're not, they don't allow access to everybody and there, there aren't any pictures. And so I think that's pretty interesting. Like, I don't know if, you know, they say it's, it's kind of too sophisticated for bears and they say it's something, it's not good enough for what a human would do. So maybe it was an old colony and then maybe they all died or something, you know, maybe it was an old little tribe of Bigfoots and they, they had all these nests for sleeping. But, but they're not letting anybody take pictures of it, which does make me very skeptical. Hmm. Well, that's probably maybe a good uh, segue. So, uh, you know, going down the road that, OK, yeah, there's there's got to be some legitimacy uh, to this. And, and what could that be? There has been, uh, uh, you know, over the decades, some conjecture among, you know, quote unquote, reputable scientists in a variety of fields like anthropology, archaeology, evolutionary biology, of what a species like a Bigfoot or Sasquatch or a Yeti uh, could be if it did exist. Bernice, can you help us out with that? Yes. Bigfoot proponents Grover Krantz and Jeffrey H. Bourne both believed that Bigfoot could be a relict population of the extinct Southeast Asian ape species Gigantopithecus blackie. According to Bourne, G. blackie may have followed the many other species of animals that migrated across the Bering Land Bridge to the Americas. Krantz has argued that G. Blackie could have been bipedal, based on his extrapolation from the shape of its mandible. Primatologist John R. Napier and anthropologist Gordon Strazenberg have suggested a species of Paranthropus as a possible candidate for Bigfoot's identity, such as Paranthropus robustus, with its gorilla-like crested skull and bipedal gait. Some suggest Neanderthal, Homo erectus, or Homo heidelbergensis to be the creature, but no remains of any of those species have been found in the Americas. There, so, Ellie... Geologists tell us that there likely was a Bering Strait land bridge between Asia and Alaska at the end of the last ice age. So, so we're now we're we're in your neck of the woods, literally and figuratively. All right, and that's actually the that that's in Nome, which is the end of the Iditarod. So oh, it is yeah. okay. That that is known. Okay, so and and the the theory goes that's. You know, Homo sapiens were not native to this hemisphere. They originated in Africa, made their way up into Asia and Europe and blah, 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 and eventually came over that bridge into the Americas following animals that they would naturally hunt. So they weren't like being, you know, smart. They weren't being Christopher Columbus. They weren't intending. They were just going where the food was going because they were hunter gatherers. And and that was a long time ago, but 16,000 years plus probably. So at the same time, the theory goes, what would stop a non-homo sapien who was still hanging around, you know, one of these other guys, whoever they were, Neanderthal, Cro-Magnon, Erectus, uh, Osteopathicus. I mean, there's like so many different guys of which we all have bones of in all the major museums. So we know that they're not bullshit, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, does that ring true with you as a resident of Alaska, this PhD mumbo jumbo? Oh, yeah, that totally rings true. Um, I mean, I'll be honest, uh, my public school brain, like when you start talking about like the kingdoms and the species and the genus and all that stuff, like my brain just turns to jello. Um, but do I think, yeah, I, <laughs> um, like Homo epicus or whatever. You're like, ah, oh, let's see, airline pilot, <laughs> anthropologist. I think I'll go with airline pilot. We, we <laughs> see, we have acronyms for everything, so we don't actually have to pronounce everything. Whereas I think these anthropologists, okay. you know, and biologists, man, they are all over these really long words. And I, 
yeah, my brain can't really process. The more that. syllables, the better. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have I don't have the breath for all those syllables. But I think, um, yeah, I definitely, I I think this is the most realistic explanation of Bigfoot like creatures is that if they all came over the Bering land bridge, the Bering land street, and they all you know, humans were kind of settling in that area, right? Like we have a lot of Alaska natives and stuff who are, you know, who have been in that area for centuries. And for them, they have right. very, you know, long lived generational tales of Bigfoot like creatures. And so I think that would be pretty normal, you know, if like the Bigfoot, the Big Feets just went over somewhere <laughs> and and colonized a little bit and just lived their own life and then you know the um like the Yupik people went and just kind of lived their own life and um yeah I you know I think it would be very plausible and and then when you look at the grand scheme of things I mean the the Russians were only in you know the Russians and the Japanese kind of started colonizing parts of Alaska in like the 1700s I think I don't know once again public school brain but I I mean that that's... they waited a long time it was really remote right? right it was almost like the moon it was it yeah. was really remote and so I mean only recently has like the population started growing in that area so I mean just talking about like you know Alaska and then also like maybe the rest of the Pacific Northwest it's given how normal all the folklore is amongst like Native Americans about yeti type creatures or I'm sorry Bigfoot type creatures I don't know I am I'm kind of maybe starting to be more of a believer in this Bering Land Bridge story that maybe they once all kind of maybe not coexisted but they all just lived at the same time in the same area and just saw each other every once in a while mm-hmm and then there's another another uh, way to look at this that I wanted to throw at you and get your reaction. So last summer on this, um, uh, on this show, Scandal Sheet, your previous co-host and I did an episode about UFOs because there was this big congressional report or, I'm sorry, national security report that came out and was ordered by Congress. So we did an episode on it. But in the episode, it was brought up that a disciple of Sigmund Freud, the famous psychiatrist, his name is Carl Jung, had actually wrote a book in 1959 called Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. Now, it wasn't about whether or not UFOs were true or extraterrestrials were true. It was all because he was a psychiatrist. He was saying, you know, basically looking at the belief of these things, of extraterrestrials, was a manifestation of a certain psychological state of mind. You know, so in a sense, it was sort of like a mass neurosis, which he probably would also argue that God is the same kind of a thing, <laughs> but it's a, col a collective projection of our primordial fears. So could Bigfoot, if, if Carl Jung was alive today, would he be writing a book about Bigfoot <laughs> and the Yeti and Sasquatch? You know, because even with all of these thousands of, um, you know, sightings or hundreds of sightings, whatever it is, you know, what we were, you know, what you had originally told me a couple of weeks ago, you had said, I didn't even know there were such a thing as Bigfoot national conventions, <laughs> you know, that, 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 that hundreds of people would like pay $800 and go to a convention center and sit down for, you know, a weekend and just and attend seminars and, and buy stuff and things like that. So there's probably millions of people that 
believe in this to some degree. Also, who who is watching all these documentaries and TV shows and and et cetera, et cetera? Millions of people and. Uh, None of them or, you know, tiny sliver of them could even have claimed like myself to have ever even seen a, a Bigfoot, had a sighting or even know someone who had a sighting. But they still have belief, even though or at least devoted, passionate interest, even though they have absolutely no empirical proof to support that interest. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, because when I think of, you know, our primordial fears, is our is our fear as you know as a human uh, is our fear something more physical because there are so many animals out there that can kill us you know like bears great example big cats great example but people are not as afraid of those i think as they are I was going to say so few people like you're right about the bears and stuff, and maybe that's something you would be concerned about. But nobody in in northern Virginia, the Washington, D.C. metro area is concerned about a bear. That's, so, yeah, that's even though they, they they might go to the Appalachian Trail this weekend and they might be concerned about it there because people have been attacked more often. The bears just steal their food. But sometimes they you know, someone gets bit. But anyways, well, well, I think it's it's interesting how actually the really looking at just even the title of Carl Jung's book called, you know, Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. I think it's the assumption that aliens or, yeah, aliens basically would be smarter than us. And I think that's really what we're scared of is we're scared of something that is smarter than us, not so much like stronger than us or that wants to eat us. I think we're more, we're more scared of something that has way more like cognitive capabilities and just like, uh, you know, is much smarter with technology and has way more technological advancements than we do. And so I wonder if the humanization of Bigfoot, right? Like when we, when we think of Bigfoot, we think of like one of our human ancestors, are we scared that they're actually smart because they they are so elusive if they're real right like nobody has ever actually brought one home from a hunt so are how smart are they and i think that's really what we're scared of scared well no you make a great that's a great that's a great point isn't it because it's um like you say we're with aliens we're worried about the war of the world scenario that they're going to be so smart and they're also going to be as you know, wicked as Putin or whatever, that they're going to want to take over. Ah, we got to take over. So whereas something like Bigfoot or a ghost or a zombie or something like that, which is just very, very, you know, it, it doesn't have the ability to take over the world. But if, it, if I'm in its periphery, I'm going to be scared as hell of that thing. Like you say, maybe it is a bear. And maybe some of these sightings were actually bears because the bears stand in their 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 hind two feet they can be six or seven feet tall right yeah um and maybe at night or you know at dawn or something like that you're gonna say well that ah, was bigfoot (laughs) right right especially somebody who's um, not sitting out in the woods and is very comfortable out there and has trained their brain to think there's a thing let's quickly and calmly analyze what is this thing you know people like me and you are going to look at it and be like oh my god it's going to kill me and then we're just going to run away and assume it was bigfoot 
Right. There's like that 9-11 call at the very beginning of this episode that we replayed. The guy's talking about the, the thing is in his front yard. Right. The thing that he's seen, they're saying, are you sure it's not a bear? He's like, no, no, no. It's walking like a guy. You know, and he's like, he killed my dog. <laughs> right. Right. I don't know if bears kill dogs. They probably do. But um, if they're hungry enough. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a, a good point there is if they're smart enough to hide from human development this long. What else are they smart enough? At? Like, how, how smart are they and what are they capable of doing? And I think that that's what feeds our fear of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. But they're like you say, they may just they've developed over such a eons and eons of time. If they came here at the same time, the very first Homo sapien came here or even before, you know, they've probably become very adept at uh, essentially hiding from from people, from Homo sapiens. You know, whereas like I even though I live in a very congested urban suburban area, they haven't been able to get the deer population under control. You know, they're just they just walk in herds down the street like this was, you know, the middle of the woods, you know, up back in the UP or something. And, uh, you know, I guess they breed like rabbits. So they're always trying to think of, you know, oh, God, my God, should we like shoot them with um, birth control? I mean, what, what do we do? Or do we just outright kill them because they. Uh, they can be quite the pest, you know, they'll eat your gardens, their, you know, their, their, their uh, feces can, can contain disease and et cetera, et cetera. But they don't really care. I mean, you can be out on a run, you know, on a bike trail or something and run into, you know, 20 deer and they're all does, no bucks, you know, and they'll just look at you and there's no way you can get them to disband. You know, you're like, shoot, shoot. Move, move. <laughs> you know, it's like, and they just look at me like, we're not moving, asshole. There's 20 of us and one of you. So. Right, right. Well, and I think that that is a good, you know, point is that like you're, you know, you're especially your urban animals, your deer, you know, that are coming and eating your garden in, you know, the suburbs of D.C. Like those in broad daylight, in broad yeah. daylight. Those are those are different deer <laughs> than what you're going to find in the middle of in the middle of the wilderness, just because they have so much human interaction when they're near people and then they just become very used to it. And, and yeah, you're right. Like people are very scared to, to kill them. You know, there's a lot of like anti, you know, hunting in kind of opinions in populated areas because people like to look at the deer, but they don't like to look at the deer when their deer is eating their garden. <laughs> but people, you know, so people assume that if you open up hunting or something to, to deer that, all of a sudden, they're just all going to be gone, which is not the case. They will maybe just become less of a nuisance or, you know, there just will be less of them or something. But I think it's, yeah, I, uh, but deer also are not very smart. So they're just going to sit there, like you said, That's on true. a trail and they're going to uh, watch you approach. And then they're going to tell you to turn around. Whereas, <laughs> you know, like a deer that's kind of farther out and doesn't have as much human interaction, the moment they even hear you coming they're probably going to run away and you're probably never even going to see them you know you might just see like their white tail you know running away or you might hear them you know tramping through the woods but you know they're they're going to be much more cautious of predators and things like that so so i think that's why you have a lot more bigfoot sightings or you know reports of sightings on the west coast in like heavily wooded areas that are not as populous because in on the east coast it's much more populated and you know the wildlife in general is just much more uh, used to humans 
Right. And they're like, yeah. So they're not smart. They, they, they're they too smart to just walk down the middle of a street like a, uh, you know, a small pack of deer would be, you know, which which does occur, you know, like on a sunrise on a, uh, you know, a Saturday morning. You look out the window and say, is that a pack of deer? Jesus. Or I don't know what a, a group of deer is called. But <laughs> <laughs> but but again, going back to the, going back to that film. What what impressed me the most about it, whether it's a fake or not, is that is the decision, if there was a decision, that rather than try to be scary, rather than try to be like a monster. I mean, if that was going to be I've seen a lot of films with with bears, you know, coming right at the guy with the camera chasing them because, sorry, buddy, you got close to their cub or something, you know. So now you're you know, you're in the crosshairs. You better get out of there fast Um, so that bears can be really, really scary that. That creature, if it was a creature, couldn't have cared less about those two people. Well, I think it's actually interesting. If you think about bears, I, I would probably come, the two animals that come to my mind when I think of like scary things are going to be like bears and then maybe like gorillas. Because I think a gorilla is maybe most anatomically kind of like a, a Bigfoot from my, like I said, non-anthropological brain. And so... At least what but I. But they don't attack people, do they? Uh, Even where they're. I, um, I think they can. Indigenous, like Africa. I think they can. They can? Yeah, okay. and and bears especially. So they they actually all have different personalities. So if you go out to um like the Kat, Katmai Preserve in Alaska, um where you have kind of those famous pictures of bears at Brooks Falls catching the fish, they've done a lot of studies out there, and there are, you know hundreds of bears that they that they study and they've realized how different all the personalities of the bears are because some bears in this specific example have no problem going out to the falls in front of all the people and eating the fish you know that are jumping up the falls and they have no problem walking right by people and just kind of being the start of the show and then other bears are very shy and they never make themselves known to visitors. They never fish in the more public spots where, you know, visitors are out there taking pictures. And um, then there are other bears that are just much more sort of territorial, where if you're just walking along and you kind of get close to a bear, then the bear is going to try to scare you away. So almost in a sense of like people, there are different personalities within just bears. And I I think it's the same way, like with a lot of your other um, like gorillas and monkeys and things too. So, so it could be that this idea of a Bigfoot, if it is out there, I would assume that they all have different personalities as well, where, you know, some of them may, maybe if it were a different Bigfoot that they had seen in the video, maybe it would have come after them and been more monster-like, but maybe this specific Bigfoot was just like, oh, that's nice. Okay, cool. Those are people. And now I'm just going to go check on the casserole in the oven or something. So. <laughs> well, no, that's a good point. I mean, a homo sapien can be a Buddhist monk, a pacifist, or he can be a sadistic Russian green beret, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and they're the same species. You know, if we put their DNA in the bottle, say, well, they look the same to me. Well, they don't act the same. So. <laughs> So there's something to that nature nurture. Yeah. But, um, okay. So, well, as we come to the end of this, Ellie, I, let's, t- we, maybe it's time to do, unless you have anything else you want to throw in there, uh, we can do our usual sort of jury ruling. Um, do you have anything else you want to talk, uh, like, um, subject wise? No, I, I think that's kind of all the, all the big things I had. 
Okay. Okay. So, so what do you think? What, I mean, what, what you got to say guilty, not guilty or, or whatever, um, is, is Bigfoot, Sasquatch, the Yeti, all the other names. Is it, is it, is it a giant hoax by someone or some people? Is it, is there something possibly legitimate there? Or as we said about Mr. Jung, Dr. Jung, just a projection of our ingrained human fears. What, what do you think? I think if I have to be a judge and make a decision, I say yes. I say yes to big feet. Big big feats exist out there, either just solo or you know walking you know in little maybe partners or tribes, and I think that they're just very smart and they uh, stay away from people, and I encourage all the Bigfoot hunters out there to keep hunting because I actually would be super curious um, to see something come up like legitimate. I think that would be really exciting. I'm not going to be the one to do it though. So like, as long as, like I said, I think there are a lot of hobbies out there and I think squatching is a very, very benign one. And if they ever find one, then I think it's going to mean a lot for like anthropology and uh, our understanding of where we came from and for geez, how smart they are for just staying away from people that long. So I, yeah. So I say, yes, they exist. That is my final answer. Bernice, what about you? I just hope you, Ellie and our audience are learning that there's a lot about the world we live in that few of you people know, but in this year's national convention of cryptozoological creatures, which I've been asked to host, I'll be playing this podcast for their entertainment. Yeah, you know what? I think I think all three things can be true simultaneously. So it it doesn't, you know, when you go into the anthropology argument of because Homo sapiens, according to these very same scientists and archaeologists, have only been on planet Earth for about 65,000 years, which is not that much compared to like sharks and tigers and elephants and birds that have been here for over a million years. But all the guys that came before our specific race, the, you know, the proto humans, the other Homo Latin name, you know, they had a huge, huge head start on us. And, you know, there's no written records. We don't even know what happened to them. Obviously, uh, something happened to them. But, you know, is it is it logical that that uh, the hundreds of thousands or millions of other creatures that that were alive when we came on the scene, that that they all died, that none of them were able to survive? So so that's possible. But, you know, someone who's very cynical, whether or not they believe or don't believe, they can still do a hoax. Right. Even if you're like the, the two guys with the film, I mean, even if they did truly believe, they say, well, you know what? Let's do a hoax anyway. You know, and then maybe eventually we'll bump into the actual thing. Or it can be like all these people attending these conventions. It can be a, pro- a projection of our of our fears like UFOs. Well, listeners, it's time to gather up all our fecal and hair samples and take them down to the lab. We hope you'll follow or subscribe to Scandal Sheet on your favorite pod platform and share it with all your friends. We'd also love it if you'd leave us a shameless, over-the-top rave review on Apple Podcasts especially. That helps us build audience. Also, we want to hear from you! 
you can reach us online at scandalsheetpod.com, Facebook, or Twitter, or just send us an email to contact at scandalsheetpod.com. We'll see you next time on Scandal Sheets. Copyright 2022, Thad Helsley Media LLC. All rights reserved.